Hello to everyone and welcome to Hallway Conversations on Epilepsy.com. Today is Monday, June 1st, 2015. It's amazing that uh, we are really steamrolling right into the summer. And today we're going to be talking about a topic uh, that oftentimes I don't think we really cover that frequently here on Epilepsy.com, and, and, and I think for some obvious reasons. One of the biggest questions that many of us, uh, especially those on the medical side of the equation, get is what do you do when someone presents or has their first seizure? Well, the answers are all over the board, and recently the American Academy of Neurology published a new guideline on how first seizures should be diagnosed, treated, and all the questions that come with it. One of the lead authors uh, in creating that guideline, as well as someone we know very dearly here at epilepsy.com, Dr. Jackie French, is joining me today to kind of help us through this issue. Dr. French, as you may remember, is a professor of neurology at the New York University Comprehensive uh, Epilepsy Center, as well as being the chief scientific officer for Epilepsy Foundation, for which Epilepsy.com is part of. So, Jackie, always a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Well, here we go. I know that the audience out there uh, knows you well, but I, I always like to let everyone uh, be uh, get a, a good sense of 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 the person who I'm speaking to, their perspective. So, can you kind of give us a sense of your role in epilepsy, even though I may have uh, already kind of given those titles, <laughs> just so that the folks out there can uh, can can understand the perspective. Absolutely. Um, I am a, a neurologist, a epileptologist. I take care of patients here at NYU, and I do research uh, which mostly revolves around figuring out what the evidence needs to be in order to develop new therapies for epilepsy and also uh, doing studies to figure out how people respond to medication uh, uh, over the course of time and other types of research, again, trying to find the best evidence on how to take care of people with epilepsy. And on top of that, uh, uh, as you can tell from my involvement in this, I sit on the American Academy of Neurology Guideline Committee, and what that committee does is it looks at all the evidence once it's out there, people have done their studies, and tries to make sense of it and then digest it and sort of uh, condense it and explain it to the general neurologist so that they can also understand what evidence exists. Thanks, because that's a, that's a guess that really, really takes us to this next question. When it comes to guidelines, there's a lot of uh, people probably have their own ideas on how a guideline comes out as though there's this pronouncement from God. But can you tell us, <laughs> outside of divine intervention, what the overall guideline process is? Yeah, I'm I'm happy to. It's a little complicated. A lot of people think and in some cases actually with with other organizations it actually works this way that people sit around a table and say, "Oh, this is what I would do. This is uh uh what I would do." And uh that is not the way it works in the Academy of Neurology. The Academy of Neurology, we have uh evidence-based guidelines, and that means we really don't say anything that we can't find uh, that somebody has done a study on it and figured it out in advance. Now, 
the consequences of that is that there are just so many studies in the world and there are a lot of things that we don't know because the study has not been done or it hasn't been done correctly. So we will be the first to say on this particular question, there's not enough evidence to really say that you should do A or you should do B. Uh, and, and we think that that's very useful also so that people understand what it is that we're sure about, what it is we're sort of half sure about, and what there's no evidence at all. And, of course, that also provides people a roadmap of the things that still need to be learned, and they can go out and d design a study and figure it out if it's an important issue. Perfect. Now, can... Now, but taking it specifically to this guideline, so the first seizure guideline, can you kind of give us an overall kind of uh, oh, big picture of what this addressed? And, and maybe even before that, why now? Why this question at this time? Well, the Academy of Neurology actually, uh, maybe it's the cart before the, the horse, but uh, they, they had one guideline on how to diagnose uh, uh, the first seizure. So, you know, do you need uh, to go to the emergency room? Do you need an MRI? Do you need an EEG? Uh, uh, these sorts of things. And that actually came out a number of years ago. And the logical following of that would be, okay, if once you've diagnosed it, how would you treat it? Or, in fact, would you treat it? And this guideline actually doesn't really talk about what drug you should treat with, it just addresses the very simple question of would you treat a first seizure? And that may seem for some people out there, you know, why wouldn't you treat a first seizure? Right. But actually there's a good reason for that, and that is that approximately 40 to 50% of people, and in some categories even more than that, will never have another seizure after they have a first seizure. So when people have a first seizure, doctors are actually in a bit of a bind because they don't know whether that first seizure is sort of the harbinger of a seizure disorder that people are going to have, that they're always going to be predisposed to have seizures, or whether this is a one-off for some reason that, you know, the person, you know, their brain was in a vulnerable state at that particular time, but they are not at risk in the future. And, you know, the way that I like to put this uh, is, if you can think about if you have a, a little fire in your kitchen, right, and you bring the inspector in to figure out why the fire happened, and the inspector comes in and he says, look, you, uh, you know, didn't unplug your toaster, and uh, your toaster caught on fire, next time unplug your toaster, then that's fine. Uh, on the other hand, right. uh, the situation that we often find ourselves in is that the inspector comes in and he looks around and he says, you know, I can't really figure out why this fire happened. And uh, there's a possibility that there's a short circuit in the wall or a faulty wire here somewhere, but I can't see it. You know, that would be the equivalent of doing an MRI, a, 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 an image of the brain, or an electroencephalogram looking at electrical abnorma abnormalities in the brain. So he may say, I can't see it but it's possible that it's there, you know, you know how, how much would you do in order to prevent that next fire? Uh, probably depends on, you know, how big the first fire was and how scared it made you. And there are, you know, definitely comparisons there to people who have a first seizure. And, of course, sometimes 
the inspector comes in and he does say, oh, look, I found a little faulty wire, and that would be uh, you know, the equivalent of finding something abnormal on the EEG or the MRI. That's that. Those are great analogies, and I, and I guess it kind of brings us to the question. So, so you all tackle this question. It's it's obviously very germane to everyone uh, that's listening. I'm certain. So, what's the general recommendation that emerged from the process? Well, uh, you know, this is probably going to be the interesting thing to people is that the recommendation was that there is no recommendation. The recommendation, <laughs> and I think it's a really important one actually, is that it, this should be left up to the doctor and the patient to make a decision about whether treatment should be started or not, and that should be based on all of the evidence that is available. So the doctor should do all of those tests for sure, you know, the EEG and the MRI, uh, and and that will help them determine what is the likelihood that another seizure will happen. And when you pile some of these things up, you know, you know that you had some cause for the epilepsy in the past, like uh, you you had a a stroke in the past, or you had a brain injury in the past, and now there's this evidence of the faulty wiring with an electrical abnormality there, for example. Then the odds get higher and higher that another seizure is going to happen in the future. And most doctors then would say, you know, probably a good idea to treat. Um, on the other hand, sometimes when everything is completely normal, the odds of having another seizure are 30% or so, then, you know, it really is up to the person and how much it would affect their lives if they had another seizure, and it would be up to the doctor. Um, you know, I, I uh, uh, have read some evidence recently that says, you know, time will tell, and that's true, that, you know, in the first six months, if nothing happens after the first seizure, then the odds of another seizure go down significantly. But that doesn't right. really necessarily help, because what we're trying to do here is pre pre prevent the second seizure, right? So right. for some people, right. waiting around to find out whether that's going to happen or not is not something they really want to do or would you know, or if they particularly seriously injured themselves with the first seizure or it put them at significant risk, they may not want to wait around and see whether the second one is going to happen. So it really has to be an in-depth discussion between the doctor and the patient about what is in the best interest of the patient and what the patient wants to do. That makes sense. that makes perfect sense. And is there, even though I know uh, there there are, there's like one other guideline about diagnosis, how does this uh, how does this differ from just general practice? Or how how would you say if 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 another doctors or are listening to this, how's and they ask, well, how is this different? How does this change? How do you answer that? I would say for most epilepsy specialists it's right. not going to change. I think most epilepsy specialists already do what the guideline says, which is talk to the patient and make a decision. But there are a lot of doctors who have been trained that you don't treat until the second seizure. And so they wait and thereby potentially put people, you know, in a position that that is risky for them because the likelihood of another seizure is high. And this actually, by the way, 
uh, segues very nicely into a new definition of epilepsy, which was just brought out by the International League Against Epilepsy. And the new definition says, you know, the old definition of epilepsy was recurrent, unprovoked seizures with an S on the end, meaning that you had to have two in order to have epilepsy. Now the new definition says, hey, wait a minute, if the likelihood is high of a second one and there's evidence of faulty wiring, as I put it, then uh, then that's already epilepsy. And, you know, another seizure may or may not happen, but there is a tendency towards uh, epileptic seizures, and that's enough. So one one seizure with evidence that there's a high likelihood of another one is enough to diagnose epilepsy. And I just wanted to make one other important point. Sure. And that is that uh, when people come in with their quote-unquote first seizure, uh, it is not uncommon to find out that it actually is not their first seizure. Because people think of seizures as, you know, sort of shaking all over and falling to the ground, the kind of thing that you see on, you know... uh, Tele, you know, medical television shows right. when everybody yells, they're having a seizure, they're having a seizure. <laughs> uh, but actually, seizures can be much more subtle than that. And I and I know that you do too. I, I see so many people who come in because they've been referred from the emergency room for a first seizure, and when you take a careful history, you find out that they were having, you know, smaller, more subtle episodes, sometimes for years. So so very true. So so I know many of our audience, those that come to epilepsy.com, the reason they come to epilepsy.com is that they had their first seizure and they want to know everything about it. Uh, what should individuals who will undoubtedly listen to this with, in that scenario take away from this process the, as, as a patient, as the person who's scared, they had a first event, they come to us, they see this podcast, what would you say to that group? Well, I think that the most important thing is that you need to, you know, a seizure disorder is something that is a long-term chronic thing for most people. And if you decide to start medication or you don't decide, you still have to have a long-term relationship with the doctor that's treating you. And you have to make sure that there is a an open and strong line of communication between yourself and that doctor. And if you don't feel that that communication is there, where that doctor is telling you, well, here's why I think another seizure is more likely or less likely, uh, then you should be probably looking for another doctor. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. Amen, I think would be the best way to put it. And and by the way, the... Yes, the, the guideline does give doctors uh, some important information, which I, I don't think everybody was aware of, of some of the risk factors. Like, I don't think that everybody was aware that a first seizure that happens in sleep is much more likely to recur than one that happens during wakefulness. So it's these types of things that can be helpful as well. Because well, that, that, that's very, very useful, especially to understand, as you said, the, the risk factors there. Jackie, we're in our last uh, minute or two. Um, what what take-home message do you want to leave to those who may be patients or those who are professionals that, based on this guideline that you want to make sure that they say they took away from our conversation this morning? Um, I think that the take-home message is 
that whether you decide you want to be treated after the first seizure or not, uh, that, is, that decision is in your hands, and there is no wrong decision as long as you understand the risks and benefits involved. We right. know that in many other areas, such as, let's say, um, treatment of risk for stroke, people will take medication such as blood pressure medication or cholesterol-lowering medication for their entire lives, uh, whereas their risk for any of these abnormal uh, things happening to them like heart attack or stroke are pretty low. So for every 23 people who takes blood pressure-lowering medicine, 22 uh, would never have had a stroke or a heart attack. But they right. think that, you know, they want to prevent that bad thing. And the same thing is true of epilepsy. You know, we have very well-tolerated medications now, and taking one pill every day to prevent something as serious as a seizure uh, can, in some circumstances, be the right thing to do. That That is such great advice, Jackie. I, as always, I always appreciate when you come and join us for conversations. I hope you'll do in the future. I just want to thank you so much for doing this for us this morning. Okay, thank you. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to have you, too. We've been talking to Dr. Jackie French, Professor of Neurology at New York University and at the Conference of Epilepsy Center there. She's also Chief Science Officer for the Epilepsy Foundation. This has been a special podcast. This is uh, both joint, uh, jointly produced by uh, Epilepsy Foundation and the American Epilepsy Society. Uh, I want to thank everyone out there for uh, joining us today and for... Uh, I hope that you join us again in the future uh, for other hallway conversations. This is Dr. Joe Servan, editor-in-chief of Epilepsy.com. Have a great rest of your day.